It's go time. Welcome everyone to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble, and tonight we have a very special guest, the analyst with the Toronto Argonauts on radio, TSN 1050, Natea J. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, oh, we both have a common love for the CFL, and anytime we can talk about great game we have up north, it's it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's a thrill, and I'll be honest with you, you're the first player, ex-player that I've had on the show. Wow. I'm honored. I'm honored. I hope I start, I start a new trend where now, you know, you start to the, the open the floodgates and now you're having, you know, tons of players and guys have done a, a lot of things on the field on. So I'm, I'm really honored and I can, uh, you know, now I can, I, I can put that in my, in my bio, you know, <laughs> there we go. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. So let, let's get to know you. You're from Southern Ontario. What, uh, what was your family life like young and as you moved into school? Yeah. So yeah, grew up in Southern Ontario. You know, my dad, you know, moved, you know, we're from Ghana originally. Uh, I was born in, I was born in Toronto, then obviously moved to Southern Ontario, but he grew up a big soccer fan and, you know, Liverpool was his team. He lived there for a few years. So, you know, growing up every Saturday was, you know, was watching soccer, watching EPL. So that was kind of my, my first love and took it pretty seriously and wanted to be a professional soccer player that's just as how I was whatever sport I played I wanted to you know try to go as far as I could but they reached a point where I was playing so much soccer all the time where I started getting really curious because you know at home my dad was also a big sports fan so we'd watch baseball we watch basketball you know football all these different sports and for whatever reason, like we'd be watching football and I'd be asking so many questions because obviously the game is complex, right? And I found myself really trying to figure out why things were happening on the field. I'd be like, dad, why doesn't the running back just run outside all the time? There seems to be more room out there than just running into the middle and things like that. So I came really intrigued with football and how it worked. And I'd just be watching it all the time. I remember I think it was third or fourth grade. I Denver Broncos versus uh, Green Bay Packers in the in the Super Bowl, and Denver had won. Green Bay lost, and for whatever reason, I was I found a reason to cheer for Brett Favre and the Green Bay Packers, and I started crying when they lost. I'm like, I don't know why. I just you know got really emotional about football, and I just I don't know. From a young age, I remember telling my fourth grade teacher, "Now I want to be a professional football player." watching like Deion Sanders. I think he was on the Falcons at the time. So, you know, I just, for whatever reason, I just really caught on to football. I started loving football. I was playing at recess all the time, even though I was still in soccer, you know, for the majority uh, up until I say seventh, eighth grade, I was playing soccer exclusively. It was really cool. One of my best friends uh, who really introduced me to organized football, uh, Chris Rossetti, He's now a scout in uh, for the for the New York Giants. Got promoted. He was recently with the Miami Dolphins, and you know him and his family. He's got three brothers, three other brothers, and you know huge Italian family. You know I'd be spending a lot of time at his house because there's a big football family, and that's what I love. If we weren't playing football, we'd be at the house playing football video game, and you know or playing in the backyard catching routes. He was a quarterback and I was a receiver, so it was just a natural fit uh, for us. His dad was a coach, so you know his dad would take me to practice. Uh, with with them all the time. And that's where it really ignited the love for football. And it was you know always football all the time. So, you know, I got really lucky where I had, you know, a family like that, that was already, you know, football rich, where I could explore the love for the game. So that's kind of how it happened. And Chris, 
we always had that scout mentality from a young age, right? So, you know, since we were young, we'd be watching NCAA games like, oh, we got to get there somehow. That's the dream. And, uh, you know, try to figure out ways. And then he, in high school, he'd be like, you got to start videotaping all your all the games and and send it to scouts. So he really got me on that train. And, you know, without him, I would have no idea what to do. I'd just, I would just play wherever I, I could. I wasn't even thinking that big. But he always had that mastermind mentality to try to get to the best competition and play where you know, you could. So he, I, I credit him a lot. We all the time. I'm like, bro, if it wasn't for you, I, I wouldn't you know football probably would not be, you know, what I'm doing. I would have been playing, but I just had no idea, you know, how to get to, you know, certain places that I want to go. So, you know, that's kind of my childhood. Like played soccer for a long time up to sixth, seventh, eighth grade, then really picked up football. And at the same time was playing you know, football, basketball, baseball all through high school. Loved all the sports, but you know it was always, always like my love was always football. So that's what really you know set my life up. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, it's it's so great that you had somebody with you on that journey to get your not only your vitae, as it were, with tape of you playing, but to also sparking more interest in it. Absolutely, yeah. I credit him a hundred percent. It's funny. I always hear this with successful people. They always say, like, obviously you have the love, you have the passion, but when you have a certain mindset, you know, you start meeting people along the way that can help your your journey, right? Like, you know, if I maybe if I want to be a baseball player and maybe this happens subconsciously, like since my love was for football and he was a football player and his family's football, it drew me to him. So it's almost like that uh, whatever your mind is set on, you finding these things that help you along in your journey. So yeah, no, it's, it was it was amazing to have him and his family. San Francisco is your first uh, attempt? Yeah, like I go back. So high school was you know, really good, putting up serious numbers. But schools in the States at that time weren't recruiting heavily 5'10", you know, 175-pound receivers that you can't really understand what the competition is, is happening and look good. But, you know, did they really trust Southern Ontario de- defensive backs compared to, you know, guys from like Texas or California or Florida? Uh, so recruiting was really, really slow. Chris, you know, has done some research and was like, okay, it's not looking like you're going to you know, division one. What's another way you can get there. And at first we were trying to go the prep school route, but it just didn't work out with timing wise and getting in there. So they're like, okay, junior college. Okay. How do you, you know, you got to get to a junior college because division one schools recruit heavily from there. Um, you can still kind of make it if you do your thing there. So that's how it happened. He researched like the best junior colleges and we found San Francisco junior college that once all these national championships, literally the best in California junior college. So found all the schools, met Chris up emails, sent all my films to every single one. They were the first ones that got back to me and said, we'd love to have you. Uh, we saw your tape. We think you, you know, you'd be a good fit here and, and things of that nature. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's, Let's do this. I mean, you guys are the first ones to contact me back. I mean, you must see something. Let's go do this. So San Francisco was uh, my first stop because of pretty much because of Chris. That's awesome. So you go there and how do you wind up at Buffalo? You're going from warm and sunny to not so warm and sunny. (laughs) I think by now I'm like, oh my goodness. In the moment. Okay. So I was there for two years and getting recruited um, to all these other schools. I remember my first the first school I talked to was like Temple. And then Temple had a situation where they, I think Al Golden had gone from Temple to Miami. That kind of fell apart, right? Where I was supposed to go on a visit. It was kind of a little theme because 
you know, I had the same situation happen with San Diego State, supposed to go there, didn't have a coaching change, but they're recruiting two guys at the same time, me and another guy. And whoever had kind of finished their classes that summer at first would get the opportunity. And, you know, it just so happened, I think he was on a quarter semester and I was on a, a half semester. So he, he, he was done earlier, got the offer, like, okay, cool. Let, what's next? Then Hawaii happens. Go, I'm like happy now. I'm like, okay, even better weather, Hawaii. Go on a visit to Hawaii. Coaching change. You know, as soon as I, I get there, there's a coaching change. And I'm like, okay, am I ever going to go to school? Or like, how's this going to work? Because after a while, you're like, okay, how many coaching changes can there be in, 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 in college football? Like, is every school going through coaching changes? Like, and then Buffalo, last minute, I was like kind of running out of time. Buffalo was like, okay, like, let's go. Like, uh, you know, you're close. You're, I was at home anyway. I was like, drove down, met the coaches, everything checked out. And they, they liked me. And I was like, I think they had a lot of injuries at the receiver position. So I was kind of lucked out where at that point, I didn't know if I was going to get an offer uh, to go to a school. I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought maybe I'd have to come back and go, go to a Canadian school. So I was fortunate enough to get an offer to Buffalo. And it was a situation where it was literally like my only opportunity, only offer. And, you know, if I didn't that, I didn't know where I was going to go. So that's how it happened. I was like, I would have loved to stay in California and just love staying that good weather. At that point, all you want to do is play football, right? All you want to do is get an opportunity to play a Division One school, you know, live that dream. It could have been anywhere in the world. It could have been Utah. I was going. You know what I mean? So that was that was kind of my mindset at the time, and it, it helped that Buffalo was kind of close to home. So that helped me a lot. While you were at Buffalo, did your family get down to watch you play? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember being like as a kid, we'd go down to Buffalo anyway a lot of weekends because they had like outlet malls there that were, you know, half off, you know I mean? Just great shopping. So like I was really used to Buffalo at the time and um, I was, I was happy to be there. My family came down all the games. You know, my first Buffalo, I didn't play much. Uh, I was primarily special teams. I didn't. I, so, but they were happy. They were coming down every weekend anyway. They didn't care. They were, they were trying to get those deals uh, on the shopping malls. So no, that was, uh, that was cool. And then my second year is I like after like, Two or three games, I like you know started that year. Thing won the job, broke my ankle, forced to miss that whole season. So and you know after junior college, you play two years at junior college. You only have two years left to play at Division One schools. My time in Buffalo was great, but on the field it wasn't as spectacular as you know I kind of hoped it would be because you know I, in the junior college level I was you know did really well. You know I remember my senior year it was we had a championship level team. We lost in the championship game. I was like leading receiver that year for our team and you know for a pretty big team so i was bummed not to get a bigger opportunity at buffalo but been drafted the year before by the argos as a junior right because at that point i'd been four years out of out of uh, high school so cfl you know they allowed players to get drafted after four years of out of out of high school so i was drafted i was thinking i was the last class to have that ability i think the next year they made it so you had to be done school and be eligible to come to the cfl when you were drafted i was drafted as a junior uh, as a, in my senior year i knew i was already drafted got hurt i was bummed out because as a player you want to try to take you know your best shot at the nfl because that's the ultimate dream so was crushed but you know in the back of my head i'm like okay I, you know i still get to play football Know, after this year so that's that that's kind of cool and i was drafted by my whole team the argos so that wasn't that wasn't so bad what was it like going to your first professional camp i think scott milanovich is your head coach at that time it was tough i remember playbook it was all different because i was coming you know even though i grew up in canada 
I, I played my majority of high level football in the States, the extra man, and then yard off the ball, the waggle. I, it was so hard to adjust waggle because I'd never done it in my life. And then in high school, we didn't really use a waggle that often. And it was just a tough adjustment. I was like, whoa, like everybody's really good here. Like everybody's either a high level player or just like just recently cut from the NFL. And if you weren't, you've been in the CFL for a while and you understand football just from being in the league for a while. That was a, a tough adjustment. And then at the same time, you're like, the playbook is this is a whirlwind, man. Like you're trying to catch up to the playbook, you're not getting any sleep because you're staying up late trying to study. Everybody seems like they're way better than you. And the whole time I'm like, man, I'm going to get cut before I even play a preseason game. It was tough. I That rookie year, I always look back. I think me and uh, Anthony Coombs were rookies that year. And we were like kind of, we we're best friends still to this day. And we always talk about those times where, bro, we're like staying up late trying to study. I think I'm going to get up. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be here much longer. I'm, I'm not doing well out there. <laughs> and uh, lucky enough, I did well enough in the preseason games and uh, enough in practice where they, they wanted to keep me. It was not pretty, especially to the standards where I got later in my career where I was like, okay, like you understand everything, especially my last few years in Edmonton. I was like, man, I'm a totally different player than what I was in my rookie year and I think that's that's normal like because when I see rookie when I saw rookies come in same thing and I that's where I was like okay let me let me like try to help them out or you know let them know like you're gonna be okay I literally was way worse than you and you know you're gonna have a bright future so yeah I took my lumps definitely my rookie year Scott Milanovich was not an easy coach either very demanding tough coach but he uh taught me a lot and he made me realize that even if a coach looks looks like he hates you all the time, he doesn't actually hate you. So that's that's what I took from that. After a couple seasons with the Argos, you went out to the, uh, well, we'll call him Edmonton. Yeah. Jason Moss, I believe, would be your head coach there. What was the difference between their styles, Milanovic and Moss? You know what? They're very similar. They ran very similar offenses. Coach Moss was my receiver coach while I was in Toronto my rookie year. And then my second year, he goes and becomes the offensive coordinator at uh, at Ottawa. Then after a year at Ottawa, he gets the head coaching job in Edmonton. And I remember I was a free agent that year trying to decide you know, what to do. You know, I wasn't playing much as much as I wanted to in Toronto. And I was like, OK, I'm going to my third year. And if I don't start to produce, like I'm probably going to be out the league. Right. So. Coach Moss had called me and was like, hey, you know, it'll be a good opportunity for you here. I know you're not getting much opportunity in Toronto. You know, we had Coons that, you know, kind of emerges as, you know, one of the you know, top Canadian receivers, you know, backing up Dury, and he was, like, going to take over. Man, Coons is next in line. I don't know if I'm ever going to supplant that. Let me try to see what I can do somewhere else with fresh eyes. And me and Coach Moss always had a great relationship. Uh, to this day, we talk because I know I'll, I'll get a fair shake no matter what. So let me go try uh, and try to see what I can do with my career. So, you know, Coach Moss, you know, took me in and, you know, I, I you know, was able to start off on special teams, do well on special teams. He explained to me, hey, man, you know, some of the best receivers ever, you know, were beasts on special teams before you know, they ever did anything on receivers. So I was like, okay, let me try to go out there and try to be the best special teams player I could be. And stepped out of my comfort zone and, you know, try to, you know, eventually became a captain on special teams. And I, I'm telling, coming from, as a place where I never played special teams before in my life, but you know, Moss had told me, "Hey, you do your thing on special teams, offense will come." But right now, to stick in this league and to continue to be on rosters, it's got to be special teams, right? So uh, I took that to heart, and that's that's the main difference between 
Coach Moss and Coach Milanovic were Moss kind of was more player players coach. Milanovic, he was a player, but you know, he was he's like a, a drill sergeant, man. Like he wasn't really about you know trying to make anyone feel comfortable. He was just about results. And Moss kind of I don't say he's soft, his softer side to him, but he just he was more in touch and in tune with what players were dealing with. Um, I think because he had been a player more recently than Milanovic, he's been Milanovic has been a little bit more removed from it. Both excellent coaches, both excellent O's, like second to none, especially Milanovic. He's just he'd recall stuff. We'd be in meetings and he'd be like, this de- defensive coordinator in 2003 ran this coverage against this play. He's going to be expecting it. So we're going to do this differently and we're going to catch him. And it worked. And you'd be like, whoa. This guy's a genius, man. Like just the type of stuff he'd say consistently where he'd recall coverages and games where, you know, in different situations and and he'd be expecting it versus the type of stuff that we were running and the, the his ability to kind of marry that and, and relay that information to the player. You just, you always had the utmost confidence in the plays that we had and you knew it was going to work. And if it didn't work, it was our fault <laughs> kind of thing, right? So Milanovic was great and Moss learned from Milanovic. I remember being in meetings with Toronto and Moss, who was a receivers coach, and he had this big binder and just taking down notes all the time. I'm like, I'd be like looking, like, why is he taking notes? He's a coach. Just come to find out he's building his playbook, building, you know, everything he'd want to do based on what, what Milanovic was teaching and how he was teaching it and the coaching points that he'd have. You know, it all made sense later on where I got to Edmonton. A lot of the plays are similar. A lot of the coaching points are similar. Then Moss would have his own twist to it where, you know, this stuff that he learned from being quarterback in this league for so long. Uh, he added two, so two two amazing guys uh, to learn from. Just different in their approach to you know dealing with players coming up in the CFL. I, I don't know if I'd I'd want any two different coaches. They're they're both amazing. That's awesome. You talk about being on teams, and I think so many coaches look at want. Yeah. If a guy does well on teams, and that will take them a long way. Oh, a hundred percent. Because I've seen guys really talented receive that want to know parts of special teams and you know, like we talked about in the cfl there's only so many roster spots like it's really hard for you know american to be on the roster because you either a starter or you're not on the roster and a lot of those spots special team spots you know typically go to canadians you know for me like you know there's there were five receivers and but eight dressed so the other three had to be on special teams or you weren't on the roster that was my way uh, to get on the field. And I always tell like young guys, bro, but we have, they have their starters set. The starters are set. Unless somebody gets hurt, you're not getting in. Try hard on special teams. Try to be on the roster. Cause if you're not going hard on special teams, first team coach is like, I don't want this guy out here. He's going to make me lose my job. Then he's not going to put you on the, you know, and you're going to be on practice roster wondering why, you know, your checks are so low. So I tell these guys, man, like, especially your first couple of years, if they don't tell you you're going to be a starter, which you probably won't be anyway, because there's always more established guys than you, you have to take special teams seriously or, you know, it's just not going to be fun for you. It's your third and your fourth seasons in Edmonton where the playing time comes around, the numbers start to show up and you start yeah. getting into the end zone, which is always a nice thing. Yeah. Yeah. How did that feel? How did that feel when you were becoming a bigger part of the offense? Man, it, it felt great because when I started playing receiver, it's like that's all I wanted to do. Like I'd go to bed with a football, playing catch with some with myself, and just 
dream about just catching the ball all the time. Like take a ball to class with me and, and always have a football. And, you know, whoever I saw, saw my friends just play a little catch. Like I always, always trying to catch and make plays. And that's all that I ever want to do. So when, you know, I'm in the CFL and I'm like, I'm not getting that opportunity. I'm like, okay, let me just do my job right now. But one day, like I'm going to be able to do that. I'm never going to take it for granted. When I started getting more of an opportunity to uh, catch passes, I, I mean, it was such a great feeling to go to practice and, you know, have plays that actually had to worry about. Because before, if you're on special teams, like, you know, you know the playbook, and but like, you know, there's not a great chance you're actually going to get to run them in the game, right? So you're not up stressing about it. But when you're actually involved oh man there's no feeling better than that like going to meetings is like christmas because like you're like okay what plays next like well how am i going to be involved in this like you know what i mean so you just feel so much more involved and then you know practice is so much more fun because you're out there running around and you know catching balls and you know like okay in the game i'm gonna get the ball here i'm gonna you know all these things are happen. it's just so much more fun and don't get me wrong i i, I enjoy my role uh, when I was a special teams player, I enjoyed that because, you know, that was my way of staying in the league, right? So I took that extremely serious. I was trying to, you know, be the best I could, you know, have lead the league in tackles, start seeing tackles. Like, that was my, whatever my role was, I was trying to be, you know, great at. But, you know, it started to be part of the offense, you know, as a receiver. You know, they're not going to be like, oh, man, he was he was a great, he had a lot of tackles or he had a lot of great blocks on, on, on punt team. Uh, you know, they're going to be like, okay, how many catches did he have? How many touchdowns did he make any plays? Right. So uh, when I started to make plays, it made me really happy. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. Jason Moss loses his job at the end of the 2019 season. Yeah. This is kind of an interesting time for you because you're going to be signing with the Argonauts and Scott Milanovic is going to the Elks. Yeah. It's actually really funny because, so Coach Moss loses his job. I was really sad about that. And I remember Trevor Harris calling me because he was, he was the quarterback at the time. Trevor Harris, he's like, man, Milanovic is going to be here. We're going to run a similar offense. And I was like, man, this is amazing. I don't have to learn a new offense. And then, you know, that offseason, I was due a bonus because I guess when you start playing receiver, you start <laughs> getting more money in your contracts. I was due a bonus. And um, Edmonton wanted me to take a pay cut. And I was like, no, I'm not taking a pay cut. I was like, I earned that money, I felt like. And I was like, no, I'm not going to take a pay cut. Um, we'll see what happens. But I, I'm pretty confident in my abilities. You know, I'm at the time I'm established as a starter in the CFL. So like to other teams were going to see me as a starter. So I was like, all right, my guy, Coach Moss is gone anyway. I love Edmonton. We'd moved out to Edmonton. That was the toughest part. We'd moved out to Edmonton and kind of made that our home for the time being and, you know, doing community stuff. I loved it out there, man. Edmonton is, is a really good CFL city. The fans, amazing. You know, I'd go to the same grocery store and, you know, the clerks would always greet me and and, and remember who I was or where I did or what happened in the game. So it was really, it was really cool atmosphere, but, you know, I'd make a tough decision. And, you know, shortly after that, I was like, I'm not taking a pay cut. Let's, uh, let's see what happens. You know, start packing up and, you know, move back home to Toronto and the Argos were like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> you know, you want to come back home? And I'm like, well, yes, I do. Uh, I'm already on my way anyway. So let's make it happen. So sign with the Argos. And then uh, that's obviously 2020. And we all know that that season didn't happen, but 
is I don't know if it's unfortunate or not because I would have loved to play back at home one more time. And you know, I haven't I have, since then. I haven't looked back to what what could have been. I have not at all. I have not looked back to like what that season could have looked like or anything like that. I'm doing that for the first time now because I'm always like looking ahead, kind of like okay, it is what it is. There was no season, so what's next? And that year. You know, start my own media stuff, you know, start doing my own podcast and things like that. And, you know, just I found that I loved it so much. And then when, you know, the season, you know, came back, we'd had another another kid, we our third child. I was like, there's and I signed with Montreal. There's no way, you know, I could leave, uh, you know, the family because, you know, a year off of football, you know, I started doing a lot of things with the family, like a lot of time that I hadn't had before. And I was like, man, like, this is nice. Like, I, I like I like being a family guy. Like, this is this is what I want to do. I want to see these girls grow up. You know, I want to see it. I don't want to miss any of the more of those moments or being on FaceTime all the time. So it's not Toronto. I was like, OK, I don't I don't think I have one really want to play. And then Mike, uh, you know, Chris Schultz had passed away, uh, unfortunately, that year. And he was like, we have an opening. Think about it. Think if you really want to retire. At that point, my mind was already made. Like, I didn't want to leave the family. And this is a cool opportunity to still be at the games and broadcast my, you know, my favorite team. Something I want to do, you know, going forward and get into that role as like, man, sign me up. Where do I sign up? Let's do it. So that's kind of how that 2020 2020 year happened. You know, you asked me about signing with Tom Landers leaving Edmonton and we get down that winding road. But it just brought me back uh, down memory lane. So that's kind of how I went down and. I guess, you know, that's that leads me to where I am at now. Mike would have known you, I guess, from your days before with Toronto, but how did he know about the media side of it? Were you promoting yourself or? You know what? Uh, so my year in Toronto, he had invited me up to do an interview at the station and went up and we kind of hit it off from then. And then every time I'd see him at practice, you know, say hello and uh, talk for a little bit. And then even after... Uh, I had signed back with the Argos. He called me and we talked for a little bit, caught up. And I don't know what it is. He's just really friendly. I don't know if he's like that with everyone, but uh, he and then he was like, man, I think you'd be really good broadcaster. And then at that time, I was doing my podcast and I think he'd heard some episode. I had Pinball and, and Ricky Ray on. Um, so and he's like, man, I think that he, you'd be really good. And I didn't know it at the time, but. Yeah, I guess he was, he said he was keeping my, he's like, you were my choice if Chris couldn't do it or anything happened. I'm like, man, that's unreal. Cause I had no idea I even wanted to do something like that. But when the opportunity presented itself, I'm like, I thought about it. I'm like, yeah, this is exactly what I want to do. This is, this is really cool. So that's, uh, that's kind of how it went down with me and Mike. What was it like walking into the booth, getting ready for your first game? Oh, you know what? I was expecting to be really nervous because it's something new. And something I'd never done before. I'd listened to Mike on the radio a lot of times. I've listened to watched so many football games. So I had an idea how the cadence kind of goes. Play-by-play guy explains the play and then color commentary adds his commentary. So I felt really comfortable in knowing that, you know, I'd watched a lot of games, listened to a lot of games. I kind of understood how the things work. Getting there and getting in the booth, I'm like, oh, wow, this is really happening. Like, this is this is pretty quick. Like, this is, you know what I mean? Like, this is this is not what I really imagined I would be doing so quick after football, but I was really thrilled, really appreciated it. Uh, tried to do the best I could in this scenario, try to be professional as I could. Mike had to remind me, I would get so excited first game. I remember I would get so excited when things would happen on the field. 
almost like I was, you know, on the sideline or something. It was maybe a little too too excited because, you know, a few times where a, a big play would happen and I would just start talking of like, oh, Mike, that's an unbelievable catch. And Mike, I still hadn't explained the play yet. So he's like, okay, I love the energy. Keep the energy. Just remember, it's radio. I have to tell the people what's going on. Uh, then you can jump in. You know what I mean? So that's uh, <laughs> that was really funny. But, you know, I expect to be nervous because for every football game I've ever played, going in, there's anxiety, there's butterflies, all these thoughts going through your head, all these plays that, you know, you're hoping comes to you, all these defenses that, you know, you, you've seen on film and you're hoping it's exactly the same thing that you've seen on film. So, you know, you can get the ball and and, and do your thing. I didn't have that. You know what I mean? I'm just like, I just walk in. I'm like, man, this is the first time I can go to a football game and just enjoy it. Like I'm seeing all my, you know, old teammates and able to catch up without, you know, in the back of my head, damn, I gotta, I gotta warm up. I gotta go get ready. I gotta remember this play. I gotta remember this thing. So I could just relax, breathe. There's no stress. You know, as soon as the game starts, I'm not like, it's third down. We're about to go in and they are calling this, the coaches in the headset calling this play. You know, I'm there thinking, okay, what defense is going to be? Let me check out the defense. You know, there's nothing. There's just relaxation, just reacting, seeing what happens, just talking about it, talking about my experience with, you know, a lot of the same plays uh, were ran. Like, I, I remember a lot of the same plays because, you know, the, before we were going through off-season meetings, and I remember the were, you know, went through the whole playbook. So I'm watching the game. I'm remembering all the plays. And, I'm the, and the whole game, like, whose fault was that? And I'm like, you know what? You know, the quarterback threw it early because there was a blitz coming. The receiver didn't see a blitz. So he's supposed to have a hot route and, and cut it off. I would blame the receiver. Uh, things like that were going on. And it was really, really cool. Really, really happy. I was like, I remember leaving the game. I'm like, man, I'm so happy. Like, I'm get an opportunity to do this. I love it. I'm watching all the games anyway. I'm watching all the players anyway. I'm taking notes on games anyway because you know, I love the game. I feel like it's a perfect job. Do you feel fortunate because a lot of players don't choose when they leave the game? I always tell Mike, I'm like, I feel like if I didn't have that opportunity, I probably still would be playing. Playing football, like, you know, you never know what's next. You know, you can plan for it, but once it's over, like, it's it's a big, it's a big step. It's really somewhat scary, you know, because you've done something for so long, you know, for your whole life. Like, since you're, for me, seventh grade, you know, every year I, I knew I was going to be playing football somewhere, somehow. You get into such a certain routine, your bones ache certain time of year you know what i mean you, your alarm goes off and you you know start getting scared that you're missing meetings the, the whole routine like that you established through years and you know most of my adult life is totally different and you know i was i was really fortunate because i know a lot of my friends that did retire just went off to other things and whether they were firefighters or school or things like that i was fortunate to be doing exactly what i loved and you know i talked to them and like they really missed the game like they really miss like everything about it, like you know, going to practice, going to meetings, all that. And I'm like, I miss it too, but like I get to be around the guys still, right? I get to be at the games, right? So I can't, I don't miss it that much. I'm, I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to, is what I always say because you know I wake up and I'm like, wow, I get to go to a game, I get to call the game, I get to tell the fans everything I you know learned about the team from the, whether it be the media, the um, the interviews or, you know, things I've observed just watching the game. So, yeah, I was really fortunate. I do really feel really fortunate because not a lot of people get the opportunity, especially right out uh, the gate in the CFL, because there's only you know so few jobs. There's only well, there's only nine teams right now. Obviously, TSN is, is the option, too, but those jobs are all taken, too. Right. So 
you got to get really fortunate to be able to get in you know, right away um, like I was too. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Do you find when you're doing the analysis of a game that you're a little bit tempered because some of those guys were my teammates and I got to be careful here? Yeah. You know, it's a fine line, right? Because you want to tell it as it is. So I always use this, like would whatever I'm saying, would I, would I tell this to the player if I saw him? And if I would, then yeah, I'm good to say it. But if I, if something I wouldn't say to his face, then I wouldn't, I would, I probably should stay away from saying something like that because I don't know if players are listening to the radio broadcast, but you never want to call a guy out or if it's not warranted or, you know, say something that, that you wouldn't say to his face. That's my general rule of thumb. Right. So and I know how it is. Everybody out there isn't trying to make a mistake. Everybody out there is trying their best because they're trying to feed their families, right? No one is trying to mess up out there. So when mistakes happen, I just try to explain why it happened, what the player may have been thinking, what he may have saw to make him react the way he did, and just try to go about it in that way, right? So I think that's that's been the best way for me to do it. And, you know, I remember last year, the toughest one for me last year was when the Argos played BC, and at the end of the game, Coach uh, Dinwiddie was taking knees, thinking that the clock would run out. And the whole time, I'm like, wait, the clock is not going to run out here. They're, you're still going to have to punt and give them a chance. And it was really tough for me because don't, I had seen Coach Dinwiddie in the locker room and we were just talking. I don't want to say uh, anything that could mess up our relationship, but at the same time, I have got to keep it real. And I, I think I remember saying that it, Coach Dinwiddie, if he had that back, I think he would. I think he would do that differently because he thought that the clock would run out. And it's just, a, I, would, I said, I think it's just a rookie mistake. And he would be the first one to tell you that he should have he should have maybe consulted somebody else. And after the game on in the press conference, he was like, I told the team that was my fault. I could have lost the game. So I was like, Ooh, he, you know, he admitted it and it's all good. Everybody saw that it was a tough situation. And, he, you know, he met, he had messed up that situation in particular. And I'm so happy he brought it up because I didn't want to be the one saying, oh, man, that was the toughest one. But, you know, I think as I go on, like last year was my first year. As I go on, I get more and more comfortable. Just you know, I think as long as you create body of work of, you know, just keeping it honest, keeping it fair, um, in the long run, you know, all my analysis will be looked at as, okay, he's a type of guy that's just not trying to out for people. He's just trying to tell, you know, the fans listening exactly what's going on. Now, you also do some Raptors work with TSN 1050. How's, how's that going for you? How do you like that? No, that was, that was really fun this year. And, uh, I, I you know, it's really Pre-game, halftime, and post-game. And I'm obviously a big, I told you I was a big sports fan and a big, big Raptors fan, obviously. And I'm watching all the games anyway. Something happened, and they needed someone to fill in. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, my name was brought up. And they asked me, do you think you can do it? And I think they knew weeks in advance. Was like, okay, we need you to you know, I'll watch a bunch of the games. I'm like, I'm already watching the games. It's like, okay, you think you listen to the broadcast and tell us, Honestly, if you think you could, you could do it. Uh, I, I listened. I was like nervous. I'm like, okay, wait, they're really serious about this. Okay, let me make sure I'm watching all the little things that are happening in this game. And, you know, I just, I went in there. Uh, it was really comfortable. Uh, it's obviously a different sport, but 
the same mentality applies, you know, for professional athletes, right? So, you know, I just try to be myself and it was, re- it was really, really nice. I think people enjoyed it and uh, I was very happy. I was very happy. That's kind of what I want to do, you know what I mean? Like football, basketball, I, I, I want to be like a moderate shot back in the day, you know, we'll <laughs> see what happens. But that was kind of my, my, one of my idols too growing up. So yeah, we'll see where that goes. But no, it was really a lot of fun. Very fortunate. Like not a lot of people get those kind of opportunities, right? So uh, it was really cool for me to, you know, kind of expand my, the horizons. And, you know, this, the media game is is not easy to to break in because a lot of those jobs are really coveted and all those jobs are really taken. So for them to uh, take a chance on you know, a football guy, you know, I really appreciate it. And, you know, hoping to grow and you know, get better as, as the years go on. In your mind's eye, when you have a moment to kind of, hmm, I wonder what if, would you rather be on the panel or would you rather be up in the booth? Oh, so, you know, this year I may be getting the opportunity. I don't want to break any news or anything. I may be getting the opportunity to to be on the panel, right? And my wife was asking me this and I was like, I would rather, if I had a pick, I think I'd rather call a game. I think thinking about all the things that happen in the course of a game and being able to explain why things are happening or things that I've seen throughout, you know, this year I was watching all the Argos practices just to try to pick stuff up and, you know, it just helps the broadcast. Throughout the game, I'm always, I have all these thoughts in my head throughout the game. And I, I love to be able to explain to people why people are doing certain things, why certain routes work, why the quarterback, his accuracy was off, why the defense were able to get an interception. I love that part of, of football. So I think being in the booth is it serves me better with with my skill set but i also love trying to bring entertainment to it because that's what the panel is right entertainment and you know they have their segments where they're really in depth trying to build excitement for the game halftime there's not a lot of time to talk about the game and go in depth right there's Burness and then the three guys on the set pregame they have a little bit more time pregame but halftime there's not a lot of time for each guy to talk and then they both would be you know great opportunities doing the game i think would be a lot a lot more fulfilling for everything that goes into my head throughout the game. I feel like I'd be on the panel and, you know, I'd have a million things I want to say. I can only get through like maybe a couple of thoughts. Right. So uh, I would love if I could do both, I'd be the happiest man on earth. But obviously, you know, it's kind of tough. I would take the boot. I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Don, it was a pleasure to be on with you. I love well, the questions you made me reminisce a couple of times, you know, going back, and I I haven't done that signing with the Argos. I never I hadn't done that in a while, but you know, it was an honor uh, being your first player. Want any more players? Let me know. I'll tell them. Oh, you know, Don, great podcast here. Get on there and uh, just get those floodgates open. <laughs> That's a deal. All right. Obviously, TSN 1050 is where you're at home, but wh- what about Twitter and other platforms? Yeah, Twitter, uh, I think my, my you know, I, I feel like if you type in my name, it's Tay J, you'll find me, but my handle is uh, Tay underscore, no, Tay 11 underscore. So that's my Twitter handle, Tay 11 underscore. You can find me on there. I like to tweet a lot of funny things. You know, CFL season starting, so I'll probably do some analysis videos, uh, plays that I like throughout the week. Overall, fun-loving stuff on there. Thanks, Nate. Awesome to talk to you. I hope we can do it again. Oh, yeah. No, anytime, Don. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again at the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio.
worth watching. <laughs>